From CPRI and the CPRI Knowledge Hub, this is Research Minutes, a weekly look at new and important research in education. Today we look at school district secessions, which have become increasingly common in the last 20 years and, according to new research, can have a significant impact on the racial segregation of students. So in 2000, about 60% of school segregation for black and white students was a result of school district boundaries. And by 2015, this had increased to 70%. We welcome Penn State University's Erica Frankenberg, co-author of a new study examining seven southern counties that have experienced district secessions and how those communities have changed as a result. She joins CPRI Knowledge Hub Managing Editor Keith Hugh-Miller to discuss her findings and some important implications for education policy and future research. We see the growing diversity of the South's public schools, and yet, at least in these counties to varying extent, secession may be weakening the potential for greater school integration across the South. And I think when we think about why this is, it's a redefining of the community that is being served by the public schools. That's right now on Research Minutes. Hi, and welcome to Research Minutes. I'm Keith Hugh-Miller. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Erica Frankenberg, Professor of Education with the Penn State College of Education. Thanks for joining us, Erica. Thanks for inviting me to talk about this work. So today, we're going to be discussing your new study, which was co-authored with Virginia Commonwealth University's Genevieve Siegel-Holly and researcher Kendra Taylor, titled Racial Segregation in the Southern Schools, School Districts, and Counties Where Districts Have Seceded. It was just published in AERA Open, and it examines the rise over the last couple of decades in school district secession in southern counties. To start, maybe could you just explain what district secession is and maybe some context as to how or why this has been happening? Sure. District secession is a term that we use to talk about the process that occurs when a community chooses to form its own school district and leaves a larger, typically countywide school district that it has been a part of. These district secessions have been increasingly more common, particularly since 2000, as the EdBuild organization has documented. They found that there were 47 successful district secessions between 2000 and 2015. They're concentrated in the South, which is a really important historical context for us to think about given the way in which white Southerners historically tried to avoid school desegregation in the aftermath of the Brown decision. And so that's why we think it is extremely important to understand the phenomenon across the region and what the implications are for the region's schools. So what was it that drew you to this line of research? Um, I understand you actually hail from one of the counties included in this study. I do indeed. I grew up in Mobile County, Alabama, And when I was in graduate school, actually, one of the first communities started talking about leaving the countywide school district. And one of the things that I knew about the South was that it had the most desegregated schools for black and white students and had since 1970. Certainly, court orders were a a big part of the reason for that school integration that was successful in the South. But another factor, which was 
partially a result of some court orders in the South, but also a result of the more agricultural nature of the South, were that they had countywide school districts. And why this mattered is that then you had both cities and some of the surrounding suburbs contained in one school district that gave you both white students and students of color that enabled you to have more options for desegregation. Whereas outside of the South, in the Northeast and the Midwest, for example, one of the contributing factors to the high segregation for Black and Latino students there is the fragmentation of the Northeast and Midwest metropolitan areas. You can have dozens, if not hundreds, of school districts. So we were interested in studying school secession because we saw that as potentially having really important implications for the countywide advantage that was widespread across many parts of the South, that it would impede the larger geographic features that had been a a really important foundation for enabling more widespread desegregation efforts to occur in the South. And so we wanted to look across all of the region. We had seen a couple of case studies of what had happened in specific counties, but there hadn't been yet a regional look at what the effect of this trend of secession had had for schools. As you note in your paper, Southern schools have become the most integrated in the country in the wake of Brown versus Board of Ed when courts began ordering districts to reduce segregation. So what's changed in recent years? In recent decades, there have been two critical factors that have affected the integration of the South. The first is that courts have begun to end desegregation orders that were in place across the region and There are estimates that hundreds of Southern school districts have come out from under court desegregation order. The second is these changing boundaries overlaying a a changing racial composition in the South. The South is now a majority non-white region in terms of the public school enrollment. And so the way in which students are sorted by school district boundaries becomes especially consequential, given that we rarely assign students across school district boundary lines. So the composition of school districts is increasingly important at a time in which there are also fewer efforts to actively assign students to create racial integration. So your team set out to learn if and how these secessions had impacted racial and residential student composition in seven southern counties across Louisiana, Alabama, and Tennessee. Could you give us a general overview of your study design? What were you looking for and how did you go about finding it? We first took a list of all places in which Southern school district secession had seceded in the South. And so what we found is that there was actually a clustering effect and that these secessions that happened in the South that were successful had clustered into seven counties, five of which were in Alabama, one in Tennessee, and one in Louisiana. And so we decided to measure the extent to which school and residential segregation in these counties were changing. And we wanted to also look at the extent to which the nature of segregation was changing. If, for example, we found that school segregation was increasing, was that a result of segregation within school districts or segregation between school districts? Because the policy implications for each one would be very different. Also, I think it's important to, to explain why, why we are looking at residential segregation. So historically, there has been a linkage between 
school segregation patterns and residential segregation patterns. In fact, some of the school segregation literature suggests that school segregation can both reflect residential patterns, but can also in turn help to shape residential patterns. And so understanding that there is a reciprocal effect between housing and residential segregation And knowing, in fact, that some of the efforts for secession had been justified in terms of helping to promote community identity, economic development, very much as sort of a residential argument, not so much as a school argument, we thought it was important to study both simultaneously. So to do this, we measured the segregation in the seven counties that was a result of school district boundaries as opposed to the segregation within boundaries. And we looked at three points in time. We looked at 2000, the beginning of sort of this newer trend of secession. We looked at 2010 and we looked at 2015. Uh, It's important to note that not all the secessions during this period had taken place by 2010. In fact, in some counties, there hadn't been any secession yet. But it gives us an important marker to be able to to look at change over time. And then we also measured different types of segregation. One of the complexities of research and policy in this area is that whereas during the civil rights era, desegregation predominantly meant desegregating black and white students, or in some areas, Latino and white students, today we have a multiracial school enrollment. In fact, the South is a perfect example Latino students in the South actually outnumber African-American students. And so segregation is necessarily multiracial. And so in order to do this, we used a segregation measure that helped us look at multiracial segregation. But we also sought to look at the segregation of pairs of students because of the historical legacy of segregation of white students in the South in particular from African-American students. We looked at black and white segregation, Hispanic white segregation, and Asian white segregation. So let's jump right into the results then. Um, What was it that you learned? One of the first things that I think is important context to point out, and and was surprising to me as a researcher when I, I, I uncovered this at the beginning of our work, the racial composition of the seven counties where secession was taking place was disproportionately comprised of students of color. In particular, there was a much higher percentage of Black students and Black residents in these seven counties than was true of the South as a whole, and even more so disproportionate than the entire country. And so I don't think it is a surprise that in places in which we've seen these increased secessions from 2000 to 2015 are places in which there is a shrinking share of the white population and particularly of the public school enrollment and a disproportionately higher share of African-American students. And so I think that's a really important context to think about in terms of the results that we report. When we look specifically about segregation, we see for school segregation, School district boundaries were increasingly accounted for a higher share of the segregation that we measured. So in 2000, about 60% of school segregation for black and white students was a result of school district boundaries, meaning that the other 40% was because of segregation within school districts. And by 2015, this had increased to 70% of 
overall countywide segregation was due to segregation across school district boundaries. There were similar but much smaller increases and overall lower segregation residentially. And so I'll I'll primarily focus on talking about the findings for school segregation and note a couple of residential trends where it is noteworthy. We also found that in particular for Black and white school segregation, we saw an absolute level of segregation that was rising. So it wasn't just that more segregation was because of school district boundaries, but overall we saw school segregation for Black and white students rising during this time period. And it was already at a really high level in 2000 and and was rising to even higher rate by 2015. And that was the starkest trend among all the racial groups that we saw. Overall, we saw that residential segregation during this period from 2000 to 2014 declined some, although we did see a slight uptick from 2010 to 2014. And we, of course, saw that more of the segregation was due to school district boundaries residentially as well. One of the very surprising findings for me as a researcher was when we then drilled down on the different types of counties that we are seeing. So within these seven counties, we classified them by the extent to which secession was a new phenomenon. So in a couple of the counties, secession was brand new, and the countywide district still enrolled almost all of the students. So, you know, 90% of the students. And this, we, we kind of classified as sort of an early stage of secession. And in these counties, we saw that there was much less of school district boundaries being the same kind of markers that we saw in districts that had a longer history of secession. So while they had had secession from 2000 to 2015, they had also had some secessions before 2000. So an example is Jefferson County, Alabama, which, for example, one white community seceded right after the Brown decision before any desegregation had happened in the state of Alabama. And there were a number of communities that had seceded since then. And so this was a county in which there was no one district that had a majority of public school students. It was fairly fragmented resembling, quite frankly, what we see in other regions of the country more than other parts of the South. And in counties like this that were in our sample, we found that there was much higher percentage of segregation due to between district segregation in the county than in the cases of counties in which district secession had just begun. And we saw that residential patterns were mirroring the school patterns in in that set of districts. There was a third set of counties in which secession was occurring. So, for example, Shelby County, Tennessee, which is where Memphis is. But there were also some non-geographical school options. And so the link between the housing patterns and the school patterns weren't as tightly coupled because the relationship was broken by these achievements school district options and the East Baton Rouge Parish in Louisiana, the charter schools were non-geographically based option. And so uh, another important finding was that the relationship between school and housing patterns differed based on uh, the presence or lack thereof of non-residentially based school options. And so 
that's an additional trend that we hope to continue to look at as we continue to study the effects of secession. So obviously, quite a few different levels of findings in your work. I'd be curious to know what you think the implications are. What do you think that we should take away from your team's work? First thing that I think about is that educational policies, and and we consider the formation of school district boundaries to be an education policy decision. Uh, It's both a decision being made by a local community, but also it's a policy decision being made at the state level to enable secessions to form with uh, more or less uh, scrutiny. You know, Alabama, for example, which had the majority of counties in our study, has been rated to have one of the most lenient secession laws that community only needs 5,000 people um, before it's eligible to try to secede from a countywide district. But so these local and state education policies around the formation of school district boundaries Uh, have important implications both for the types of schools in these counties, but also for the residential decision-making that we see, particularly in the last four years of our study, where we saw that school district boundaries were increasingly a reason for residents to be segregated by race, particularly, again, when we're looking at segregating Black and white residents. So I think it points to the fact that education policies are also have implications for non-education outcomes and outcomes that other governmental officials should should be paying attention to. I think that these findings raise concern for thinking about whether this is one method to resist enrolling children in racially diverse schools. We see the growing diversity of the South's public schools And yet, uh, at least in these counties, to varying extent, secession may be weakening the potential for greater school integration across the South. And I think when we think about uh, why this is, it's it's a redefining of the community that is being served by the public schools from a broader county level conceptualization of community to Uh, a more narrow, circumscribed view of a local municipality, for example. Uh, And I think that given that there are obstacles to creating more comprehensive cross-district integration policies, the formation of separate districts will likely make it harder to, at some point in time, bring these separate districts that are increasingly divergent in terms of racial composition back together, that that is a really important outcome for us to think about in thinking about proposed secessions, given the research evidence showing the benefits of racially integrated schools for students who attend them, and also for communities as well. You know, so I think an important implication for state-level policymakers and, and local policymakers as well is to think about implementing a more robust framework to assess both short and long-term impacts of a proposed secession and how it would affect some of the the outcomes that that policymakers value. I think it also shows the importance of, of carefully considering right now, largely seceding communities are the ones who are able to determine whether or not the secession will take place. And this exercise of local control actually can 
in some ways inhibit the control that the district that's left behind is able to have because of the way in which the secession of one community affects the community that's being left behind. And so certainly there are ways in which either the federal or the state governments could step in and have a more deliberate process to make sure that all sides are able to have input into proposed secession, for example. I'll say that I don't necessarily see examples of that happening right now, but I do think it's at least something that could happen in the future if people were to see these findings, which I think are very much just a, an initial stage and maybe be even starker, you know, a decade out from now, um, to think about how these decisions are affecting matters of public policy. And my last question, you've already touched on this a little bit. Um, do you see opportunities here for future research, either for your team or others working in this area? Absolutely. So there are, there are a couple of research pieces in addition to my own experience in Mobile County growing up uh, that motivated this. And it was a, uh, one was a case study that I had done of Jefferson County, Alabama, which is where Birmingham is, and really saw that there was sort of a, a long-term trajectory in, in looking at the ways in which communities that had seceded from the countywide district there had the political boundaries also became these social boundaries and, and sent very clear messages to home seekers. So not only in the aftermath of secession did the composition of the schools change, but we saw that home values change. And so in communities that had the amenity of a municipal school district, the home values increased at a more rapid rate than the rest of the county, for example. And and that continued for several decades. And so we really see this as a first step to being able to explore where the secessions are happening in the South and to be able to monitor these patterns as secession grows, but also as the time from which secession happens is further away. I think it's also important to continue to look at the reasons that communities are looking to secede and thinking about the the many impacts, again, both on the communities that leave, but also districts that are left behind. One of the seceding districts in Mobile County has already had a slew of annexations since it, it, it formed. And so again, thinking about the ways in which that affects a range of residential outcomes uh, in that, that county is really important. And, and the 2020 census hopefully will enable us to continue following this. And then I think the last, the last thing that we're thinking about is, is examining income segregation uh, and seeing ways in which secession may also relate to, to changing income segregation over time. This is fantastic work, Erica, and I would encourage listeners to go and read the full paper. Again, it's titled Racial Segregation and the Southern Schools, School Districts, and Counties Where Districts Have Seceded, and it's now published in AERA Open. Uh, Erica Frankenberg, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by the CPRI Knowledge Hub. For more episodes of this podcast, or to subscribe to this series, visit us at researchminutes.org. To share thoughts on today's episode, or to suggest future topics, follow us on Twitter at CPRE Hub. That's C-P-R-E Hub. <laughs>